to Affect Autism, where Affect is the number one tool we use in supporting child development through playful interactions. Hello, this is Daria Brown, and you're listening to Affect Autism. And this week, we have Keith Lander with us. He has 25 years experience as an occupational therapist and is the founder and director of Little Buddies Pediatric Therapy Incorporated, which is just outside Vancouver, British Columbia. He is a DIR floor time trainer and is currently a PhD student in the Fielding Graduate School's Infant and Child Development Program that we've mentioned many times before on the podcast here. It's great to have you, Keith. Well, thank you. It's very nice of you to invite me. The reason we are, are talking today is because I was going through my website, looking at old blogs, and this was an old blog I had about my visit to the Floor Time Center where Jake Greenspan gave me 10 great takeaways. And number one was emotional regulation is as or more important than sensory integration. And then down in the comments, uh, four and a half years ago, Keith replied with really good information about sensory integration versus emotional uh, regulation. So I thought this is a great topic to dive into for a podcast. Thank you for coming. And where should we start, Keith? When you posted that was right around when I started Little Buddies. We were taking over an old clinic that uh, the person was moving away. And so it was around the same time. And it was the first time that I worked in floor time where I was able to do just floor time because it was that, that was part of why I started Little Buddies is I wanted to be able to do pure floor time if it went, when it was, yeah, well, everything we do is floor time, even if we're doing handwriting, we do it in a way that it's a slightly different approach. And, and it was the first time I used to say it was the first time I was able to swim in it. And so all of these like amazing feelings and ideas were coming up. Um, and, and so I was also very cognizant of what you were doing because your feed would come up. And then I, I would read it, I, I read everything because I also was, I, I still do, I use a lot of your takeaways for new staff so that they can learn from you. And, and, and also because you have access to all of the people who help form my practice, that it's so wonderful for them to be able to pass that on because we're like, I'm all the way on the other side of Canada. And so a lot of the people that might come to this area, go to Seattle and want all of us to come down and they don't always realize that with the Canadian dollar, that's not always possible. So um, that was that's part of that. And that was actually one of the reasons why we had we tried to have um, Dr. Solomon come out, um, but then because of the pandemic, he couldn't. So we wound up doing it virtually, but it, it's all of the same sort of idea. I just found that everything that I've learned through ICTL and Stanley and all of the great people that you have on are, are just wonderful. And, and Kathy Plattsman is actually my dissertation uh, chair. <laughs> so, and I know oh, that you awesome. So yeah. I'm going to do a quick translation for listeners who aren't regulars of the podcast. Um, ICDL, Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, the home of DIR floor time that trained uh, both of us. And Stanley, Dr. Stanley Greenspan, who uh, developed and created floor time, you know, over many years with colleagues and you were part, you actually met him, talked with him, trained from him, 
which is amazing. Dr. Solomon, he is the creator of Play Project, which is a, based on DIR floor time. And they did randomized control studies that, that showed the application of floor time in community. Yeah, that's, re that's really awesome. It made me think of something. When Stanley was teaching the, 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 the fielding program when it was part of, really still part of ICTL, um, he didn't like technology. And so he would, he liked conference calls. And so I was working in an OT clinic on Saturdays and the class was Saturday morning and it was all on the telephone. And so the kid that I was working with comes busting into the room while I'm listening to every, the, the class discussion. And he he's, he starts complaining about the therapist who was covering him while I was taking the class. And, and then um, said, and, and it was kind of awkward because the, the, the interaction that the other therapist had was really not floor time. It was almost aversive. I, I almost fell off my chair. And, and I thought, I thought I, he was on, I thought I had put him on hold. So I didn't realize that they were listening to the whole conversation. And, and so, you know, so when I was feeling really natural, I just like, you know, really come, I was like, so Justin, so instead of telling us what you don't want to do, can you tell her what you want to do? And he's like, yeah, because like it was his whole litany of, and literally the therapist is, is sounding like another child. Well, he, he, she didn't want to do this and she didn't want to do that. And he didn't want to do this. And he, I, I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> but, but I was able to just kind of do that. And, and so they, he said, yeah, I want to do this. And she goes, oh, that would be great. And I was like, oh. plus I thought, oh my gosh, how, how hard was that, right? Um, but so, so when I focused back on the, the phone call, I realized that they've been listening to me all the whole time. And I was completely like so freaked out and and dysregulated that I didn't really hear the compliment. But Stanley said, "This is exactly what we're talking about." You know, it's like you know connecting to the child, taking their lead, and then using positive affect to to turn the situation around. And you know, and then Ira, who is leading the class, said it to me, Dr. like Dr. Ira Glavinsky who's been on yeah, our podcast. Would, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, listening to your podcast is like go, for me going going home to Iqdal. Um, and, and he said, I'll never forget that you said that. It was so powerful. And like now that I'm sensorily regulated and I've heard, I was able to hear it. And I, plus like Ira's like, you know, such a hero to me that for him to say that to me was made me feel really like I was going in the right direction. Uh, um, and, but it, it, it's just, just putting that part together that it was like, oh my gosh, if I can stay in the moment and stay calm is that, because it was kind of my, my experience was mirroring what Justin's was in a way, because I was completely dysregulated that I was not, I don't think I was in my best learning state. <laughs> right. and, and, and he was uh, having the same thing, but it was, it was such a powerful, powerful story for me. Cause I, I thought, because I, I use that a lot with kids and some of the therapists would say, yeah, but you have to, and you have to, well, you can't, he can't expect to do that. I'm like, he's a kid, like, you know, and he has really polite parents. I'm sure he'll learn how to be polite by the time he's 18 years old. I, I'm sure it'll happen. And, and it was so powerful for, for them to say, yes, that's, that's what you should be doing and keep doing that even if someone else is saying 
it doesn't matter and you're you're just coddling the child or you're not teaching them anything because it it is teaching them something and it's saying i'm gonna mirror your emotional state and take it as something that's meaningful even if i don't if even if it's not a pleasant experience for me because no one really, you know, we wake up in the morning and we don't say, oh gosh, I really hope that kid you know, comes in and complains about everything and is kind of whiny and uses that voice that, that they use to make sure that we're paying attention. No one wakes up saying, oh gosh, I really hope that happens. Um, but when you do connect with that, that, that allows him to come back down and say, oh my gosh, somebody understands what I'm feeling or is kind of getting it, even if we're not completely getting it. And that allows them to just kind of reprogram, you know, move away from fight, fight or flight and, and be present with you. And, and, and kind of show us in many ways they're better selves because they're not fearful of what's gonna happen next. And it's, 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 it's really awesome. It's like such, for me, I, I, we, we have a new batch of therapists that have come on and I, they probably will listen to this and say, oh yeah, he's talking about us. But, but it's always like this, coming from that perspective, it, it's really like, especially when they're new out of school and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of skepticism about the sensory, you know, sensory processing, sensory integration. I just use the word sensory processing instead of sensory integration because they can't argue that that exists because we all do it, right? Um, but but the, for them to make that leap, especially when some of them worked as BIs before they became OTs. BI, behavior intervention. Interventionist, yes, sorry. Yes, um, it, that can make it quite challenging because it, it's a whole different model and they're taught all of those things. And of course, then like if they're like me, I had to overcome my, my family of origin and become the you know, the, the therapist slash parent that I, I wanted to be rather than the one that I was trained to be, especially because, you know, under stress, we regress and we go, I have to do that thing that people did to me when they were trying to teach me and I couldn't learn, even though we know intuitively it did not make anything any better for us in terms of making it more accessible for us for learning. Yeah, uh, you, you just described in such a great way what floor time is and why parents would choose floor time over ABA or other behavioral interventions in the same way that you felt like you're on the right track from hearing Dr. Govinsky and Dr. Greenspan's feedback to you. I feel the same way every time I do a podcast with DIR, Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, trainers because um, I'm a parent. I had my professional background unrelated to any clinical area and had a child who was diagnosed, learned floor time, went through the certificate programs at ICDL, decided to do the blog for parents. And it all just resonated so much with me in the way that you said, like, it does not seem right to force my child to do something they're uncomfortable doing. It makes much more sense to make them feel good, to connect and laugh together. And so floor time just spoke to me. So in, in the same way, every time I do a podcast with someone and hear them say what floor time is in a slightly different way, like you did again today, 
it just continues to validate the trajectory I took with my son in choosing floor time. You just, you know that it's the right thing for the kid. And you're in terms of their developmental trajectory, it's like, I've been doing this long enough to know that it's going to keep going in that direction and it's going to get as high as it can get. And that's all we can hope for rather than you're not meeting a bar that somebody else tells me I'm supposed to meet. And I have had parents in the past who like, especially I was a younger therapist too. And, and would tell me, no, you, I want you to do it like this. And I would try to drill the skill with them. And the kid would look at me like, Oh my gosh, I thought you were my friend. And, you know, and it would break my heart. And I was like, well, I tried it. It's not working. We have to go back. We were getting more from him when we were doing the other thing. And it would take so long for them to trust me again. I like had broken the trust and I, and I felt disappointed in myself too. And so those experiences have been like, I'm just, I, I literally said to parents, I'm really sorry. I won't do that. And I, I mean, on behalf of all parents, Thank you for choosing this career and having this clinic where families can get floor time in the Vancouver area. It's awesome. Thank you so much for saying that. (laughs) Many of the kids, by the time I see them, they stop looking back to see what our reaction is, but they can just kind of sense it uh, using peripheral vision, everything else that we're like, oh, that wasn't quite it, right? Um, but they, you know, mommy says here, you know, oh, just take the spoon and put it to your mouth. It's like the simplest thing, right? Um, and and nothing happens. Or that, you know, if the kid has a lot of like developmental coordination disorder types of patterns, and it happens at a really early age, then that bringing to the mouth is like, you know, climbing Mount Everest, and they either throw the keep throwing the spoon over the side so that you know, you can, they can show you what they can do and that we've redirected the conversation to, um, you know, uh, 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 um, but at least they're still getting the engagement and they've changed the conversation because it's not about, I can't do something. And so, I mean, to to go back, so it's like a really clear thing. It's like, mommy gives me the spoon. She says, just like this, mommy lets go of my hand, says, do it again, nothing. And then of course, mom, without, rightly so, has this moment of like, oh my gosh, there's something off. There's something wrong here. And then the kid looks back and is like, oh my gosh, I disappointed mommy. I scared mommy. Um, And that, you know, and then that kind of ping always makes that worse because that kind of, the sensory part is not, they're not connected to their body and the, the part of their brain that is involved with motor planning it's almost as if the bridge is out between their body and, and that part of their brain. And, and so they know, and then they're like, and that in some ways that gap becomes bigger and bigger, at least in, in terms of their perception, because their, their fear that it's gonna happen again is actually making it more likely to happen again. When you um, contacted me, I had to go back and read the, the, the comment I made. And, and sometimes I read something that I wrote, like, and I go, oh my gosh, that's actually really good. Um, <laughs> well, let's, let's define sensory integration and let's define emotional regulation first and then yeah. talk about them together. Sure. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to quite, I, I'll talk about the integration of your senses 
because I think in that way it's less foreign. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually it's like there's someone out of Montreal who's doing some really great research that he doesn't call sensory integration because I I don't remember his uh, what his degree is in, but he do, he's doing a, like really great studies on how when you if somebody has a sensitivity to one type of sense like hear like sound that if you provide a lot of visual input at the same time that the 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 intensity of the sound goes down and he's been able to do that scientifically and then he says like this is about the integration of the senses and i i I wrote to him i was like do you know anything about you know sensory integration you know the the treatment and he's like, no, but thank you for telling me. But I thought it is so fascinating that there is that the, the because of fast MRIs that it's starting to catch up with this theory that happened because somebody was just really observant and saw the cause and effect of sensation on kids. And, yeah. and there was actually a really great documentary on TVO, TV Ontario, uh, which I'll put a link to in the blog post as well about the senses just in general. And, and it included bits from you know, people who lose one sense and how they compensate with other senses. And right. anyway, yeah. But yeah. yeah, and there's um, some research coming out of Wisconsin where they put electrodes on somebody's tongue and this person who, who was blind was able to see again. And it, it's only what they had to have had sight before and lost it. You couldn't never have had it because the, the one, it's, it's almost as if the one type of sensor, like, so a camera is a bit of a sensor too, right? So, but it uses visual information versus sound or taste. And, but they were able to do this. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like so incredible. And it's, again, it's really very similar to what, what Ayers is talking about too. It's like your brain has this amazing ability to take sensation and, and use all of the different senses to, to fact check each other. Sensory integration itself is, is create, was um, a theory created by Ayers, and she and she's a, really a, an amazing pioneer. And she was able to see that when you cre- created one type of input, that it could dampen the other input if it was too much, but you could also in, in, intensify it in a in a prescribed way. And when I say prescribed, I, I I, if you saw me working in the clinic, you wouldn't think there was a prescription happening at all because it's supposed to look like you're doing nothing and you're having fun, right? So, so but I, I've, I, I've done the work to know a lot of input to the proprioceptive receptors and seeing the effect so that I would know that that's how that works. And, and then I would know which kids it helped and which ones it was either no difference or kids that it actually had a negative effect because for whatever reason it was too much for them or, or they just weren't, weren't ready for it. And, and so it's, it's a bit like that. And, and so like putting a kid on a swing, um, like the behavioral consultants will also often say, oh, well, of course they love coming to see you, they have a swing. And of course they don't realize that it's often a kid who's vestibularly, had been vestibularly insecure and like, and lack proprioceptive ability so that this moving thing was like hell for them. Like, you know, and they were clutching onto me and begging to get off. And I'm like, just one, two, three. And then I would let them off so that they could experience it, feel what it was like, reevaluate whether they wanted to try again. 
but I would kind of coax them like a, like a big brother to try to get them and try it once. And, you know, but the reason why we have all of this expensive equipment is because it has a, a function. It just looks like fun, but it allows you to do all sorts of movement in all sorts of direction without talking to the person about it and taking that processing part out. So there's no language. I just move this way and I've gotten you to, you know, I move the swing to this way and I've gotten you to do, and, and it's just the way that it works. And, and then I'm allowed to just kind of play with you while I'm working on that. And, and again, like taking the language out allows it to be a bottom-up experience. So there doesn't have to be any language. I just want them to focus in on the sensation and to try to attune to it in, within their bodies so that th they can have that connection and be able to use it for even just staying up or to take the next step and to create an action in the environment. And so part of my job is to create an environment for them to have those ground up experiences and to sometimes get out of the way and not talk too much so that they can have it without having to think about that language processing part, because that's a whole other part, especially if you don't have, if you have so much auditory sensitivity, then that part is, probably needs to kind of stay down a little bit until until we get there. So can I just jump in for a second and give okay. a few examples? So yeah. for parents that are listening and they might be getting lost and, and I don't think so because you made it very clear, but just to add some examples, Dr. Greenspan spoke about, you know, when you, when he's never met a baby that he couldn't um, get to smile or giggle or, or create that connection with, and so he gave examples like some children, um, my son needed tons of movement. So this was before I had any idea that anything wasn't uh, neurotypical. It, I had no idea. I just knew, oh my goodness, this little guy, he's really in need of movement. So I would have to go woo, 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 and dance and move him. And then he'd be happy as can be. I have videos of dad throwing him up in the air and catching him and him laughing his head off and going upside down and up laughing his head off. And other children, if you even move them a tiny bit from where they're sitting, they cling to that ground like they are stuck there like a, a harsh magnet. And if you try and move them, ah, like they, if you start pick them up and go, woo, and grandpa comes over and the stereotypical grandpa that wants to play and throw the kid in the air, and they scream their head off because they're so sensitive to movement. And that's vestibular stuff that you were talking about. Right, yeah, yeah. And I, I worked with a kid who, when I met him, he was he was under three. And I, I actually, I still know the family. He, he's, he's now, uh, has graduated from a very prestigious engineering school in New York. Um, which is very cool. He, he, he did really well. Um, but he, like mom called me one day and said, oh my gosh, like my, he hugged me today and I'm waiting for the, and then he did something cool. She's like, no, he hugged me. And I was like, okay. She goes, he's never hugged me before. He wouldn't let me touch him. He was, he was so tactile sensitive. He wouldn't let her touch him. And she just was bawling her eyes out on the phone. And I was like, 
it's okay. They're happy tears. It's okay. I'm okay with that. And I was, I was actually, I was so happy she shared it, but like we had done like, you know, Will Berger brushing technique with him and it was quite effective. And, and it's interesting because like when, 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 if, so when I attune to them, and this is important for parents too, because when you can tune into and start to help them feel better about something, they like, the kid knew it was me who was involved with that, that I taught his mom how, and he saw it and, and saw me. Cause like, and, and, and so they, they just know that you're making them feel better as well as I think one of the other things that I don't know if it was Stanley who coined it, or I think quite a few people have said it is that every child wants to please their mother. Right. And I think every child wants to, please an adult too. So when they come into the room, if they're throwing something at me, I'm like, oh my gosh, you are really struggling inside that you're doing that to me because I know you really want people to like you, you know, even if that's not part of the conversation, even if they're not really you know, verbal, it's, it's this, I, I, it, 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 it's this part of you, it's before it even reaches the frontal cortex. It, it, it's just all of that the emotional center is saying, no, actually, I want to do that. Or I even want to, I want you to think I have a capacity to do something. So sure, I'm throwing something. And, and, and when I throw something, I don't have to worry about the fact that you might ask me to do something or any of that, all of those, but I've shown you that I'm powerful and I'm strong and that I can do something. And I, I've prevented you from showing me that I can't do something. And guess what? I already know that. So I don't really need you to do that. Okay, I need to pause right there because on this day that we're recording, it is anti-bullying day. And yeah. my son was told to wear pink to school. So I thought I'm going to wear my pink sweater. And what you just said really is what's going on with so many bullies. And uh, um, anti-bullying day, I think is so misunderstood in a lot of ways because it ends up being, let's make those bullies evil and let's talk about how to be kind to each other and let's teach kindness. When really, if we think about what's going on with the bully, it's not that we're condoning that kid, it's okay to throw the chair across the room. Of course it's not. But what we're saying is there's a reason why they did that. And something's going on inside of them and don't we want to be empathetic and help prevent bullies from being created in the first place? So there's no need to be a bully. Absolutely. Yep. And, and I think that, it, and there is a bit of a genetic code with some of this. So if you have a kid who's been completely dysregulated since they were, and they, they handled it in this way, there's usually a parent with the same sensory system who, yeah, and was taught to do that and no one reached out to them. So in some ways you're, it, you're, you're stopping like, well, it really is multi-generational trauma, isn't it? Like, it's not, it's not just that you're stopping multi-generational bullying. It's like, they all have trauma and, and we don't really know what it is. And some of it doesn't make us as sympathetic as um, a, a different one might or, or, or a different example might. Um, but it's there. And in some ways, like it, it's certainly impacting the community and, and our society. So in some ways that if, if you can't do it for any other reason, that's an important reason to reach out and try to figure it out. Yeah. So when we're talking about sensory integration and 
you're really wanting to give a child the experience of these senses in a mild, gentle way so they get used to different yep. senses. And as their body and nervous system develops, the senses all kind of come yep. together is the way yep. I understand it. I read a paper once that said that moms are fine-tuned to copy their children. Like, so when your child is first born, especially in those like first five months, if you, if you, if you introduce all of the faces before they do the faces, sometimes it doesn't work so well. It works with maybe 5% of the kids, but 95% of the kids will not like it because it's too overwhelming for them. So we, we very naturally copy their faces. And the interesting thing about that is that that's how, you know, your mirror neurons come on, come online and how you feel and you feel that attunement with the, the kid feels attuned to you. Look, I did that. And then mommy did it too. I did that and mommy did that. And then they start to recognize that, oh, that's the same as what I'm doing. And then later they differentiate from you. But, but often when, when the kids get to a certain age, it's like, okay, now I have to teach you because you don't know all this stuff. And you, in some ways, like the, I would tell the parents, like, go back and mirror your child more rather than do that. And so if you put on music and they make a movement, do the same movement and copy them when they're dancing and you'll start some of that. And what that's about too, is like just getting them attuned to that kind of ground up experience rather than here, I've shown you my idea through my movement, now copy me. Cause it's still, it's still copy me, right? And there's still a, a, there's still a demand. And, and so when, when we're thinking about a child who has a, a reaction to a sensation that is unpleasant, you're, you know, you, you can, like you can be the one extreme is like the person who just cries and can't get off the floor because the child is they don't understand why the child is doing that and then there's the other side that's um oh just push them through it it'll be better don't worry about it um and of course neither of those is really helpful but so what it what i find is helpful is that whether it makes sense to me or not saying okay th this is what your experience is when when you when I see you having a reaction and I can tell what it is and what it is too, then I'm going to have the same reaction to it. And yesterday there is like we have all of these air filters around now with UV lights and everything to try to keep everything as safe as possible during the pandemic. And and the one actually has a bit of a high pitched whine. And it's actually this kid has an aversion to those sounds. I've had an aversion to those sounds when I was a kid, but I've drowned them out. And so I went, I just started, I saw him looking and looking and I, I could just hear it and hear it. And I said, oh, it sounds really loud today. And I went over and I turned it down and he was like, oh, and, and it's funny because the other therapist room said, oh, you, it's like you read his mind. I was like, um, not really, but, but I, but I did say, I, I tried to tune into what I thought the sensation was that was overwhelming him. And I, and I agreed with him it was too loud. Or if the, the room is too busy, oh yeah, this room is really busy. I don't know whether we should go in. You wanna just wait here or should we go in? Rather than, oh, just push them in, it'll be fine, right? Because to him, it's not fine. And, and but that, you know, so when you as a mom have that experience with, is you have a son, right? Yes. Yes. So when you have that experience with your, your son, he says, oh, I don't have to be quite as scared because mom didn't grab me and start running away. So I know that it's not super horrible 
And this is great because she's tuning into me and she's saying, I'm not going to push you in the room and I get you're having an experience. Right. And, and by doing that, the, the, the emotional regulation is happening and his ability to reevaluate the sensory information starts happening too. And every time he has a calmer experience around something, even when it's noxious, it becomes less aversive. Because that, 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 that emotional part that says, oh my gosh, this, this is anxious or fearful, that it kind of calms down and it is less likely that you're gonna hit that fight or flight level. It's almost like you're kind of, so when mommy says, oh, I see it too, if, if nothing else, it at least stays the same, it doesn't go up. So let me give an example and you can, you can, I'll set it up and then you let me know. So um, although my son is a huge sensation seeker, so he loves hearing loud, funny noises, like if, if a fire alarm goes off, he's not even slightly phased. He'll just be like, oh, a new sound. <laughs> you know, other kids will be like, ah, what's that loud yeah. noise? No, he takes it in. He, he needs to constantly move. He's always restless. Um, but he has some tactile sensitivities. So if they wanted him to finger paint or touch gooey stuff, or if he gets paint on his hands, he's like, ah, ah, get it off, get it off. Ah, ah. And yeah. he doesn't like it. So what they'll do is they'll have him experiment with, you know, gooey, ooey, gooey stuff at school. And let's say, I'll just give the example because I'm not at school with me. Like, let's say, or actually he has little markers, washable markers. He loves um, to draw on the whiteboard with or whatever. So if he gets it on his finger, or if I get it on my finger, he's like, oh, you have it on your finger. Or he'll say, oh, I got it on my finger. What we're talking about is there's the sensory overload going into fight or flight. And I'm saying, oh, ew, that's yucky. Oh, but, and, and I'm kind of acknowledging what he's doing. That's the co-regulation piece and emotionally regulating with him. And then maybe make a game out of it of some kind, or, or I could be, if it's, if he's really stressed out, oh, let's wipe that off. Okay. Let's wipe it off. Let's try again. I'm going to touch it. Ooh, yuck. And make it fun. That, that is, that's a great way to go. Um, I, I think I, like, so with, with your son, with the whiteboard, cause I, I'm, I'm just kind of launching. So I, I'm not saying I'm say, saying it's great. And, and so I think what you might try is like get some baby wipes or something and have them ready and just say, you know, I know you don't like stuff on your hands and I don't like, or even just say we, neither of us likes that. So let's keep these handy so that if it happens, we're ready. Oh, so it gives them that heads up. Like I don't have to worry about being messy because I can wash my hands if I need to. And we have a solution. Mm -hmm. Solutions are great. And you've taught them problem solving too, right? Uh, so, and then like, if it does happen, like I, I used to, like the, the shaving cream was was great because I would always get like the kids to do it with a paintbrush and I knew it was you know they had for one thing they could barely hold the paintbrush so they're gonna get it's gonna get on them right and and so I would have paper towels ready um I was doing it I was doing home care so I was doing everything out of a bag and I would just go oh my gosh I can't believe that happened and, and as it was happening I would I would make sure that I was also giving them deep pressure because that counteracts that kind of 
icky feeling. Because um, whenever you like engage the deep pressure receptors, the kind of tactile and, and light touch stuff kind of goes away. And that's a kind of protective response as well. Because if you're feeling something that's going into your bone, your body says, pay attention to that and not that. And so that also helps it go away faster, which makes it less likely that when he starts to go into that, that kind of uh, pattern again, that the intensity goes down. Well, that's interesting because I didn't know anything about any of this stuff at all when I had my child, but he was so restless. He breastfed every two hours. He'd be beside me and instinctually I would just squeeze his chubby little thighs. They were the cutest little chubby thighs. And I would just give him what I now know is deep pressure to calm him down. And I had no clue. And it makes me wonder if like instinctually we're, we're built to tune into our kids in this way. <laughs> yes. And, and I think that, you know, when we think about, you know, why do people, especially the, the bear huggers, why do they love to bear hug us, right? And, and that's why it's because it, it makes your whole neurological system come down. I mean, that's, you know, that's part of why I don't know whether, you know, that, that it has staying power as a social, <laughs> as a social uh, thing. I don't know which word to use. Um, and, and, you know, the dancing too is like the reason that people dance and, and it gives them all of that input and it helps them be more in their bodies. So even if somebody is at a wedding and they've had a few, you know, celebratory cocktails that all of that movement will help bring them back into their bodies and, and, and help them look more regulated and together. And I think that you're the type of parent that I love when they say, oh, I had this too, because I'm like, this is fantastic because you're going to get this at a level that's deeper than a parent who just has a completely typical sensory system. I have a very atypical sensory system. I always have. Now that I just assumed that I had a normal sensory system, or I guess normal is not the right word anymore because we now know that there's huge variation. Yeah, but I, I, I know that I've never liked spinning. Like I cannot go on rides. I cannot spin. My son is not the same in that way. He goes on every roller coaster, loves it, all that kind of movement. But um, I, I, I never thought about it much. But yeah, I guess I do have certain sensory things. And that's one of the first things that when people are new to floor time and become therapists is that you, you, you have to fill out your own sensory processing checklist just so you can understand what it's all about. And, you know, there's very few people that like picky wool sweaters, um, for an example. And if there's a stick in your sock and you're walking and you feel this thing poking in your sock, most people can't stand that. So when you give examples like that, people are like, oh, okay, well, that's how our kids feel all the time with their senses. So there's some recent research that, that says that when we're getting ready to initiate an action or a motor plan, that our sensory systems get change their state, right? And so this is all done through fast MRIs. They change their state and therefore they're getting front loaded for the action, right? And so if we don't like, if we don't go where the kid goes in terms of the environment and say, all right, I get you, their sensory system is not going to have the same adjustment. But the really cool thing is that if we can start to anticipate 
that and kind of move in a way or interact with them or with the environment in a way that is mirroring what we think their sensory system is, we're cooking with gas. And because the kids are like, they're less likely to kind of move away from that and, and more likely to be successful as well um, in terms of what they're trying to do, not in terms of what I'm trying to get them to do. I want them to feel like they've got control of their body. That's my, my, my number one goal. But I just think that part is so fascinating because it, 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 it's, again, it, it's showing scientifically why some of what we do in floor time works because that attuning to and trying to get it right down to the sensory system is like, all right, you've just taken the, in this sensation and what does it feel like for you? And rather than telling you how to feel about it or how to act upon it, I'm letting you feel it. And I'm letting you know that I, I understand what you're feeling. And it's, it's so, it's really, I, I think it's so cool and so powerful for me. First of all, I wish all kids on the spectrum and with any kind of sensory differences had that access, but for all kids to have that access, because there are a lot of kids that don't ever get diagnosed with anything, but they have these sensory issues. And like you mentioned. Yeah. I, I, and I think, I think of course, like, I mean, there, there is the fact that it's, you know, it's just exploded in terms of people's understanding of, of child development. You don't know where your child is going to go or what they're going to be able to do, but you can go on the journey with them and kind of help them be the them that they can be. Because like, even when I was talking about like, you know, trying to get the kid on the swing for 30 seconds, even if they don't want to go on just so they can have the experience. And I always pretend that I've just done something goofy. Oh my God, I can't help it. And like, especially if it's, I'm not talking about an eight-year-old, I'm talking about, you know, a three-year-old and then letting them have the experience and come back because then I'm letting them have a choice. Like if they don't want to go on swings and they're able to tolerate it a little bit, I, I don't care if they don't want to go on the swing, they don't have to go on the swing, but I want it to be a choice for them. And without them having somebody understanding their sensory system, they can't really make those choices. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I just, yeah, that's, that's all I need to say about that. Well, this is great information. And for those listening, I've been speaking with Keith Lander um, in the Vancouver area about sensory integration and emotional regulation and how the two together are, are what's most important and making sure the child has that emotional experience of what's happening with their sensory system, that interoception, that feeling of what's going on inside of them. And um, everything will be on the blog post at affectautism.com. If you search sensory integration or search Keith. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. If you're a caregiver looking to implement your own floor time approach, please check the ICDL parent website at the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning for virtual floor time consultation or for the weekly parent support meetings. We aim to help you implement your program at home using the Developmental Individual Differences Relationship-Based Model, or DIR, taking into account your child's developmental level their individual differences, and using your relationship with them to help promote and support their development. Until next time, here's to affecting autism through playful interactions.